Well, good morning. That was a good response. Don't have to make you do it over. You did good the first time. Uh, last week we mentioned the Christmas gift for missionaries uh, stood at 16500 Well, we kind of finished it up this week, and the, the final is 18800 which is the best in five years. So that, hopefully that, I'm sure that will be a blessing to those that receive that. Uh, then also, just want to make you aware of something coming up Saturday as we continue to uh, work through COVID. We, we're trying to have more outdoor activities, and we're, we're holding on for good weather for Saturday. It's called Trek or Treat. And uh, along this portion of the trail, there will be different friendly scarecrows that members and groups from our congregation have made. And actually, they'll be up there all, all this week, but on Saturday from 2 to 4 is when you can bring the kids. We encourage them to wear costumes. They don't have to. They would just follow the trek around the trail, and at the end, we'll be given a treat. So if you'd like to participate by helping contribute candy, you can do that just by uh, bringing it by the um, info center uh, sometime this week uh, to participate in that. Uh, we're going to jump back into our series on Titus. And uh, I heard a story about the French Revolution, where, which was chaotic time in France. And, uh, but it was about the, this guy who was running around kind of the empty streets after a mob had gone through. And, and uh, they said, can we help you? He said, yes, I, I'm the leader and I'm looking for my people. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that way when you try to lead. Uh, it kind of, kind of asks the question, am I really the leader when that's the case? Uh, in fact, though, some leaders even adopt that as a way to try to gain a following. And, and you've heard this verse before, 2 Timothy 4, 3. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great, great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And so rather than following a leader, they find someone who will simply uh, legitimize the direction they're going. They'll turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Now in that passage, it uses the term sound doctrine as the thing that, that at some point people won't put up with anymore. And that's a phrase we talked about last week from Titus. It was the compass for a person of influence. A compass for the leader. Verse 9 of chapter 1 said, in this case an elder, will encourage others by sound doctrine, that's the compass, and refute those who oppose it, sound doctrine. Well, we're going to look more closely at sound doctrine this morning by looking at chapter 2. In fact, we're going to spend two weeks in chapter 2, this week primarily focusing on this idea of sound doctrine. What is it, or at least what, what is the, the examples we find here in Titus chapter 2. So the, the basis for sound doctrine is that it f comes from God through his word. Uh, but we're going to look at three other attributes of sound doctrine that become evident from Titus chapter 2. So the first one I want us to kind of explore is the fact that sound doctrine is practical. So listen to verse 1. Paul tells Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So in other words, don't just pursue that's popular and that what's going to get you the most hearers. No, if you're going to be the leader, if you're going to be a person of influence, you have to start with sound doctrine. That's what you're to preach. Now, when you hear the word sound doctrine, probably certain things come to mind. 
as we read through the next several verses, and at first we're just going to go through verse 10, then we'll come back and catch the rest of it. Ask, is that really what I thought... Is that really what I thought of as sound doctrine as we read through this? So, verse 1, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Here it comes, verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, to be worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now we'll stop there for a moment, and and, uh, I want to point out for the case, sake of application, that here the Apostle Paul is not endorsing slavery in those last several verses as he addresses slaves. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he, he, is, he is dealing with a reality that many could not escape when he says, accept the condition that you were in when you first came to Christ in 1 Corinthians 7. And, and he specifically addressed slaves in verse 21, he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let that trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. He, he's, he's merely helping them navigate a current situation that some of them could not escape. In Philemon chapter 1, this is a book we looked at uh, several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. Paul is having an escaped slave return to his master, who is a Christian. But in verse 15, this is the counsel to the master. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave. But better than a slave as a dear brother who is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So Paul was dealing with a cultural reality that if they could escape, if they could legitimately remove themselves from, they they were free to, but many of them couldn't. So the application that's often used today for those verses is that of an employer-employee relationship. As you are an employee, don't steal from your employer. Don't talk back to them. Seek to please them so you can be a good example. Having said that, I want to go back and um, look at an observation by Juan Carlos Ortiz in his book, The Disciple, about the passage we just read. He says, this passage begins with the words, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So we expect to hear things like the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, or a statement of faith, or a creed, but instead we hear Paul saying things like, older men, you need to be temperate. Older women, you need to be reverent in the way that you live. You need to train younger women. Younger women, you need to love your husbands and children. Younger men, you need to work at being self-controlled. He says, what a sound doctrine. It doesn't have much to do with the millennium or the tribulation, but it's fantastic doctrine. 
A creed is a statement of the philosophical definition of our belief. Sound doctrine is an employee not being argumentative. There are many good church members who sign the articles of faith, they believe in the virgin birth and everything else, but aren't practicing sound doctrine. They still drive 15 miles over the speed limit on a regular basis, and they have no intention of being subject to rulers and authorities, which is chapter 3, verse 1, if it's not to their advantage. Peter told husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so nothing will hinder your prayers. Lots of preachers and leaders who have all their theology straight don't like that kind of sound doctrine. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, Peter said in verse 1 of the same chapter. And there are ladies who attend multiple Bible studies who do the opposite. Now that, that quote from him in his book really did pique my, or help focus my understanding of, of what this passage is saying about sound doctrine. It is practical. Now, the truth is, the foundation for all sound doctrine is what Jesus did for us. And that's what he describes in the latter part of the chapter. So let's read verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, which is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then he goes on to tell Titus, these are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. He says, if you're preaching sound doctrine, it doesn't matter if people want to hear it or not. You can be confident and you can be authoritative. Because it comes from God, and it is what he wants you to influence with. Now, so the foundation is what we read there. The foundation is what Jesus did for us when he gave himself. Without that, without the grace that he offers to us through his sacrifice, none of the rest of it would make any difference. There wouldn't, quite honestly, would be very little practical advantage to sound doctrine. Without Jesus saving us from the condition we were in without him. And, and so grace is the foundation, but listen, people have different views of and, and ways that they explain grace. Listen to how he explains grace in verses 11 and 12 again. For the grace of God, that's the foundation that brings salvation to all men appeared, what did it do? Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled. That's part of the sound doctrine that he just talked about upright and godly lives in this present age. So the foundation is what Jesus did for us, but it changes us. It's practical. It transforms our behavior. Our behavior is not what saves us, but when we receive the grace that did save us, it will transform our behavior. Sound doctrine is practical. There's a common phrase that is used in Titus, particularly in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that you know, the way we have to approach it is we only have so much time each Sunday morning, and so we take a section at a time. And so we might miss the frequency of this phrase. And so I want to pour it out to you, and it has to do with just the practical nature of sound doctrine. It's the phrase, do what is good. 
And, and so beginning in chapter, we just read chapter 2, verse 7, uh, he is talking to Titus. He says, and everything set them an example by doing what is good. A couple of verses later, verse 14, he, he says the, that his goal in sending Jesus was to pur- purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In the next chapter, he starts, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. But it ends with, to be ready to do whatever is good. A few verses later, verse 8, he says, I want to stress these things so that those who trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. A few verses later, verse 14 of chapter 3, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that we may, they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Sound doctrine is practical. The next thing I, w- I, want, to see, I want us to see about sound doctrine is that it is personal. That, that when it comes to applying it, it, it has specific things for different people. Uh, the application is tailored to the individual. And so that's why in the early verses, w- when you get to reading, he first of all addresses a specific group, the older men. Here's, here's some sound doctrine things maybe you, you need to start with. Then he talks to the older women. Here's some sound doctrine things that maybe might, uh, you might want to work on first. Younger women, here are some sound doctrine things that, that I want to point out to you. Younger men, and then as we said, slaves, or as we apply it today, employees. See, that's the challenge in any sermon or addressing any group. You have the general truths, but there are so many specific groups or individuals that need different applications, it's hard to get it all in there. And so quite honestly, one of the things we learn to do as we grow in maturity is apply the word to ourselves. We hear a general truth and a a mature person then says, okay, what does that convict me of? Or what does that shine light on in my life so that I can proceed to deal with that issue? Uh, We don't want church simply to be a pep rally of things we're already doing well. We also want it to be a place where we become more like Jesus because we are convicted by sound doctrine. The only problem with conviction is it usually makes us uncomfortable and grumpy until we respond to that conviction. And so it's kind of a thing people don't like to do. We don't like to bring conviction on each other because we might be grumpy for a while before we come to terms with that conviction. I heard a story a while back about a preacher who was preaching up in the northwest of our country. It was a logging community. This is a while back, historically. And he, he went out in an area just to kind of contemplate and pray. And um, he, he, It was a river where they would float their logs down. Now, what would happen, there's, there's different companies that work the area. They would cut down a tree, and they would put their brand on the end of the log, throw it into the river, let it go down to the mill, and then they'd sort them out when they got to the end. Well, while he was there, he observed some members of his congregation who worked for one of the companies take out in a competitor's log, saw the end off, and put their brand on it and throw it back in the river. And so it made its way back down, and so they were benefiting from the labor of their competitor. So he, he, he knew he had to address it, but he, he, he wasn't sure exactly how, so he preached a fiery sermon on thou shalt not covet what your neighbor has. 
and he preached his heart out. And uh, he was a little apprehensive about what was going to greet him at the door, but people came out. They were supportive and encouraged. That was a great sermon, preacher. Great sermon. But went, went back that week and to the same area, and he saw members doing the same thing. So he thought, well, I'm going to up my game. So he preached the next fiery sermon on thou shalt not steal. And, and, he, and he was, you know, flat out, direct on that. Wonder what was going to happen at the door. Same thing. Great sermon, preacher. Great sermon. Third week, he preached a sermon entitled, Thou shalt not cut the ends off thy neighbor's logs. <laughs> and they fired him. See, see, none of us necessarily like to bring conviction because of the way people respond. But the truth is, we need to hear, the first thing we need to hear when we listen to sound doctrine is, okay, how does that apply to me? Uh, you, often, I will hear, boy, I sure wish so-and-so was here. They really needed that. And that may be true. I, I'm not contesting that. And, and, but please don't let that be the first thought you have when you hear doctrinal truth. The first thought should be, how does this apply to me? Now, it's okay to make an observation that there's someone else that would benefit. They pro probably would have. All of us should is the point. And as I said, when we're under conviction, we, we wrestle and are grumpy, and sometimes it's good to give somebody a little bit of grace because maybe that's why. And just pray that conviction hits the mark and it leads to a change in a person's life. And, and so sound doctrine was intended to be personal, to be razor sharp. There's that verse in Hebrews, the word of God is uh, sharper than a double-edged sword. It can divide between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It, the, the word of God was intended to cut you to the quick. Not just so you can, some people I feel good by having their toes stepped on. That just makes me feel better because you stepped on my toes. Well, has it made a difference in your life? Have you applied that truth, that piece of sound doctrine, in a way that transforms your behavior? Sound doctrine is personal. Uh, the, the last one is sound doctrine is principled. Uh, and, and by that is it's always tied to a bigger why. Uh, a bigger reason, uh, and it, it prevents it. Now, now, quite honestly, you know, we, we hear parents say, hey, because I told you so, and that should be good enough because it's right to obey your parents. In fact, we'll look at that verse in a minute. But it helps to know the bigger why so that I am better in my expression of it. Here, here's an example that I heard. It involves cutting the ends off something, too. It, it was a woman who had young kids, and she was going to help her mom and, and her grandma um, by preparing the ham for Christmas dinner. And so she began by cutting the ends off the ham and putting it in the pot and beginning to do the different things that you do to prepare it. And his, her young daughter said, Mom, why did you cut the ends off the ham? I mean, there's meat in there. Why'd you cut them off? And she says, you know what? I don't know. Mom always did that. So they went to her mom and said, hey, what, why do we cut the ends uh, off the ham as part of getting it ready. And the mom said, I don't know. My mom always used to do that. So they went to grandma or great-grandma, depending on who, whose perspective you're taking, and asked the same question. She goes, well, uh, now that I think about it, my mom started doing that because when I was growing up, we were poor, and she didn't have a pan big enough for the whole ham. <laughs> and here they were four generations, not understanding the why, 
doing something that was, had become an empty ritual. And so the why does make a difference. And as we said, the foundational, foundational why is because God directed us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And here's the first why. For this is right. Okay, so, so that's always the foundational why, if sound doctrine is truly sound doctrine. And, and sometimes that has to be good enough. I don't always understand why where God is directing me is the right way. I, a lot of times I would choose a different path than the one that... But if it's God's direction, there are times I just have to trust. That's what faith is. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to give some other whys. And these other whys can help our staying power, can help us persevere in sound doctrine. So verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is very similar to obey your parents, which is the first commandment with the promise. And he gives two other whys, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There's a couple other whys. If you want things to go well with you, you learn to deal with the authorities God has placed in your life. And that begins with your parents. Trust me, it will just go better for you if you do that. Don't kick against the goads, as Jesus said to the Apostle Paul. Two, it says, and, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. It starts when your parents say, get out of the street, there's a car coming. If you obey them, it will help you live longer on this earth. But there's also the things your parents tell you where there's not an immediate consequence like there would have been with the car. But they having lived longer and having more experience, now, trust me, you, you don't want to do that because it will come home to roost and it will impact not only how well it goes with you, but potentially how long you live on this earth. And so by having the additional why, it helps me, especially when I get fatigued in following sound doctrine because the world's going in the opposite direction. And the same thing is true when it comes to our text. The sound doctrine that he has there in chapter 2 actually does come back to some additional whys, some secondary whys. Now, the primary why is always because God's given you that direction. But let's look at some examples of the secondary whys from our, our passage. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He's talking, to, first of all, to the older women about what they should train the younger women to do. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Why? Well, one main reason is because God said so, but there's a second reason. So no one will malign the word of God. It impacts your mission here on earth, the way that other people see. Now, I've always, I always kind of laughed at that passage that, that younger women have to be, you know, in this case, when we were younger, Shirlene had to be trained to love me. You know, I kind of said, I, am I not lovable? But I, I guess I'm not always lovable. So there, there has to be some training there. But the reason, a secondary reason, has to do with your mission. Your mission is to help other people come to know the saving grace of Jesus. And by pursuing that sound doctrine, even when you don't feel like it, it will help people pique people's interest about the Word of God. How do you do that? Because I sure have a hard time loving my husband sometimes, another lady might say. Verses 7 and 8. He's talking to Titus. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Here's a secondary why. 
so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You know, we, we, we've heard the thing about living in the fishbowl, whether it's a preacher or whether it's a Christian. We're up for more criticism. It says, you know, the, the more you seek to pursue God, the, the more scrutiny you're going to come under. And sometimes you think, well, why do I have to cross every T and dot every I? Why do I have to be so concerned about integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech? Well, because, first of all, God said so. But secondary, it impacts the effectiveness and the success of your mission. Because those who oppose you will look for any reason to detract from your message and your mission. Verses 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? Well, because God said so, but secondary, so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Because it impacts the mission. What, the, the way you respond to people in authority over you either opens the door or starts to close the door on how receptive they'll be to the main reason we exist, and that is to share the gospel, the saving truth of Jesus with other people. Sound doctrine is principled. And it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of the why behind the what. And, and that's true, I think, in the season we find ourselves now. I, I, don't, I don't know anybody who wants the election season to go on any longer than it's going to. I think most of us, we get tired of the ads, we get tired of the division, etc. Um, we, we, but, but here's something that I want to share that I, gives a little bit of a, a why behind this passage. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, when it's talking about our leaders, it says, pray for our leaders. But, but I want to get in because it fits what we're talking about here, the why that's in this passage. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 1. You've heard this part. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. And so we pray for the leaders of our country, of our community, of our world, uh, because God says so, but then he gives, actually, two whys. The first why is that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So one of the whys behind what we should regularly pray for those in authority is so that we, we will live peaceful, quiet lives, not just peaceful and quiet lives, we can live holy in godly lives, that they're not making decisions that make it harder to live the way that God wants us to live. But there's a second why that follows that. He says, verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior when we do that. But then he says, who wants all men to be saved to come to a knowledge of truth. So why should we pray that we live peaceful and quietly lives and can live godly lives? Well, not just for our convenience, although we're thankful for that. And so we can be effective in the mission, which is to help all men come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Pray that those who lead do not make it more difficult to share the good news about Jesus. Pray that they allow their, to, as Paul prayed, continue to be an open door to pursue the mission. That's the big why behind 
us doing that. It's more, our convenience is part of it. None of us want to be persecuted or harassed. But it's bigger than that. It's that there might be an open door to continue to share the gospel. That the decisions made by whether it's world leaders, national leaders, community leaders, don't make it harder for that gospel truth to be shared. Now, uh, it is also true, and people have pointed it out, that sometimes the, the church thrives during times of persecution. And there are sometimes in God's sovereignty where that has been the case, and, and we need to work and pray and live that way if that turns out to happen. We need to still share the gospel message. And sometimes for pruning or maybe to wake up his church, God will allow that to happen. But as far as what he has told us to pray for, to pursue, that is that the door will be opened and there will not be, have obstacles put in the way by those who lead us. And so I think that's the way we need to pray. All the time aware of that if God in his sovereignty allows something else to happen, we're still going to pursue the mission. And so I, I want to conclude the message by praying for our nation. Um, I, I can't I look forward to the election time being over, but at the same time, I'm not ignoring the fact that we're there. And, and I, I realize different people are weighing things differently, and I don't want to get into something that would divide. I just want to pray in a way that I think we can all pray as we conclude here um, the message before we sing our final song. So I'm going to ask for you... To, to bow your heads with me as we pray together as a congregation. God, we recognize you as uh, the Lord and creator of all things, and so we want to begin on a personal level. Before we apply this to our leaders, we want to apply it to ourselves. And God, may we recognize that sound doctrine is personal, and so in the things that we talked about today, Specifically, as we've ended talking about the mission, how does that apply to me? How well am I pursuing the mission when I don't have obstacles in my way? How much of a passion do I have for the people around me that don't know Jesus? How many risks have I been willing to take to fulfill the mission so that all men might come to a knowledge of the truth and the ability to be saved by the grace of Jesus. And so, God, be, begin your conviction with me. But we also want to pray for our country. We are, are in a time of decision. We know ultimately you are sovereign, but we also know that you've given us free will. And so we want to begin when it comes to our country in a spirit of thankfulness. We, we want to recognize, just as our founding fathers did in the first declaration of our republic, when they began by affirming that there is self-evident or absolute truth rooted in you, our creator, and that as nature's God, there flows from you a divine order of things that transcend what is popular at the moment and is rooted in your character. The incredible blessings and freedoms that we know in this nation that were at least built on that foundation and we begin with a overflowing sense of thankfulness for you. Those blessings have continued to our day but we also feel the weight of the confusion and the conflict and the corruption 
assaulting our nation. And so before we ask for your aid, we're going to ask for your wisdom. In the burial address for Abraham Lincoln, Matthew Simpson referred to a minister who approached Lincoln during the Civil War and said, I hope the Lord is on our side. To which Lincoln replied, it is my constant anxiety and prayer that both myself and this nation should be on the Lord's side. And it's in that spirit that we come to you today. Not with hubris, but with humility. May you grant that we the people and the leaders we choose have eyes to see clearly. Enlighten us. Correct us when we need it. Guide us through complicated waters. When we act, we need to act confidently and boldly, but only after approaching you humbly and persistently. Refine us by blessing the things that please you, and God, thwart the things that don't. We pray as you have taught us for everyone currently serving in the office. For, so we pray for our president and our vice president and the Senate and the House for governors and mayors and for the decisions that they will make. And we pray that when they do not seek your guidance, you will grab their attention. Proverbs 21 says that even as a king's heart is in your hand and can be directed for your purposes, direct the hearts of our leaders towards that which is right. We ask that you impact hearts and minds in ways that we cannot as you govern in the affairs of men. And finally, God, we pray for we the people. As Lincoln pleaded in a time of division, may we be touched by the better angels, our better angels in dealing with each other. So as we vote, may we, as we vote and thus govern, may we choose justly. As we interact with our fellow citizens, may we love mercy. And may we walk humbly as we seek to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.